It's NBA draft week, and the big get is Malika Andrews. The big get? You're bearing the lead, Andrew. The big get is The Rock. He's a podcast listener. Finally, The Rock has come back to the Marchand and Oran Sports Media Podcast. And we're back. The Marshan Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And we'll have Malika Andrews as the big get. And we made some news, although it wasn't really what we said. Uh, it was what was put out that we said. But we'll get into that with The Rock uh, and him tweeting at us uh, about something we said. That'll be in the topics. But let's get started with who's up and who's down. Who's up? Who's down? All right, lead us off, Andrew. My who's up is Tiki Barber. He was just named the afternoon host along with Evan Roberts at WFAN, a prestigious position uh, that was once manned by Mike and the Mad Dog. It was created because Craig Carton has now left uh, for FS1 uh, for a big contract and he had come out of prison uh, a couple years ago, uh, got a second chance with FAN, had good ratings with FAN, and now he'll go to FS1. But Barber, pretty good comeback for him as well uh, when he came off the playing field as a giant, one of the greatest running backs in their team history. Uh, the next year, they win the Super Bowl without him. He goes to the Today Show. A lot of off-the-set controversy with him that became public uh, and embarrassing, and he's fought his way back. Uh, to now he'll be afternoon drive time at FAN, which is a tremendous position. I also think uh, he's going to get a lot more games, maybe a full schedule with CBS on the NFL. Uh, so Tiki Barber is my who's up. My who's up, Ryan Smith. He's the majority owner of the Utah Jazz. And the reason why, I'm going back to the RSN train, Andrew. We've been talking about on this podcast about the chaos that is the regional sports network business. Well. Uh, this week in Utah, you're seeing a future of what is going to happen with these local rights, market by market by market. The Utah Jazz doing a deal with Sinclair. Sinclair over the air station is going to carry almost all of the Utah Jazz games. So it's going to go to anybody that has rabbit ears. It's going to go to 100% of, the, uh, of Utah, and it has the possibilities of seeping out into some of the neighboring markets, you know, be, be it Mo Montana or, or Idaho or, or wh whatever else is out there. The key here is that the team is going to make a lot less than they made when Warner Brothers Discovery Sports had their AT&T Sportsnet, but they're increasing their distribution. And this deal, uh, as Ryan Smith said, is going to be a very fan-friendly deal. All right. My who's down is Carl Ravitch of ESPN. He's their lead uh, baseball play-by-player, does Sunday Night Baseball, also does the College World Series, and he had a really, really tough call. Uh, let's It's about a minute here. Let's take a listen to this. This is the ninth inning, College World Series. And this one is hammered to left field. Did he do it? Yes, sir! Walk-off home run, the nine-hitter, Blaze Brothers, and all rallies and wins it TCU I should say in a walk-off 
Top half, that's right, not bottom. 3-1 shot, though, puts him on top after it felt like they were down and out. 6-5. Blaze Brothers. Wow. How about Orho Roberts? Well, look, I'm not going to pile on Carl there. Uh, that's a kind of as bad of a call as you can have. Give him credit. Uh, I tweeted it after it happened. He uh, quote tweeted my tweet, you know, saying his bad and take responsibility. I mean, what else is he going to do? But I thought that was a smart reaction PR wise to try to get in front of it. We all make mistakes. We have bloopers at the end of uh, this uh, broadcast every week now, which I find enjoyable, uh, the bloopers. Uh, but that was a big blooper. Uh, it's a big stage. He's their number one baseball guy. Uh, and so that was a tough look uh, for Ravage. My who's down, Andrew, Jason Robbins of DraftKing, and it's all based on the $195 million bid that he put in for points bet. Uh, earlier, Fanatics, which is trying to get into the sports betting uh, space, had agreed to a deal where it was going to be $150 million uh, for, for points bet. And this is DraftKings swooping in and trying to keep out Fanatics. Fanatics Michael Rubin had a statement where uh, he, he said that the DraftKings proposal seems desperate and I have to, I have to agree with him. I in his statement, uh, Ruben said the deal purchase price and other financial commitments will total more than five hundred million dollars. Again, this is quoting Ruben. So they are using the majority of their projected year-end cash just to try to block them. It, it seems like a move that is just destined to go out, muddy up the waters. Let's say uh, points bet takes uh, DraftKings proposal. Uh, DraftKings is part of a duopoly. That's going in front of Congress. It's going to be, the regulators are going to have it. This is going to take a year or more uh, in, in order to rectify itself, all to try to keep fanatics out of the market. So that, that, got, that gets my who's down. We're trying to see this market expand and move forward, not, uh, not contract. But let me just say, if you're DraftKings, why wouldn't you want to block fanatics? It's a lot of money to try to just block somebody, that, somebody new that's, that's coming in. You're already one of the, the, the two main people that, that, that are in there. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but Tom Brady looks at that money and is like, that's not a lot of money. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, For Tom Brady, that's half a season at, at, at Fox. <laughs> let's go to the topics. Uh, number one. Wait, before we go to the topics, you, you brought this up. We haven't done the Brady meter in a no, while. Brady, is that Brady we got enough, we're going to talk about the rock. We're in enough trouble. We got enough trouble. Not of our doing. The Brady meter wasn't of our doing. The rock wasn't of our doing, but we're going to get to that in a moment. So we're going to stay away from the Brady. We'll get to the Brady meter, but Let's stay with Fox, though, and another big star that they brought in, Derek Jeter. Now, look, there's a you talked to Jeter for a story, big feature you did about uh, his debut, which is happening this Saturday as the uh, Fox is in London uh, for was the Cardinals Cubs uh, this Saturday, um, and he'll make his debut. Now, just before we get into Jeter, did you spend the whole time talking about Adley Rushman? Thank you for bringing up Adley Rushman. I wasn't sure if we we're going to mention him this podcast. But my first question to him was to identify the worst call in American League Championship Series history. Was it for if you really did that? I'd give you credit, but you didn't do that, did you? Oh no, I totally did that. He you did. He, and what did he say? Yeah, Jeter said. I mean, that everything was on the record. He said, "I got. I have to let it go. I have to let, let Jeffrey Mayer go." <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. So, what was your impression of Jeter? Because I covered Jeter for a long time. I read your story. I have my impressions. All right. So, you know, my impression from Jeter, I, I get from Brad Zager, and he's the executive producer of, um, of Fox Sports. Uh, and 
you know, the one thing about Jeter, and I never covered him, you did. So I've read all the stories about him. He was as boring a quote uh, that, that, that you could see. Like he, he, he was always thinking about what to say. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't imagine that would translate well to, uh, to the broadcast booth. In fact, you know, uh, as an Orioles fan, Cal Ripken was the same way. He, he always would say exactly sort of uh, uh, everything that he said was very calculated. And then people inside the game were like, oh, you don't know Cal. He knows so much and, and he's engaging and he has a sense of humor. Well, when Cal went on to, you know, the Turner broadcasts, you know, it didn't turn into a, a very good uh, uh, broadcast. So my concern with Jeter is when you hear people like Brad Zager say like, oh, people that know him say that he's knowledgeable, that he's got a great personality, that he's funny, and that comes out. Um, uh, the history suggests maybe it doesn't because he's, he's thinking about what to say. Uh, but uh, Zager also will point at the World Series last year when Jeter was, uh, he had a segment before game three in Philadelphia and he's on the desk with big, uh, with big Poppy and A-Rod and the interplay between those three was uh, uh, Zager loved it. Jeter had fun doing it. And he thinks that that's what really going to translate into a full season's worth, but I'm dying to get your opinion of it. Yeah. I think there's no question that Jeter can be good. Um, the question is, will he be? Uh, I think, you know, you, you talked about, does he have the knowledge? I mean, he's, one of the greatest players of all time. I mean, people, I know there's people who say he's like, he's not, he's, there's no doubt about that. Like he's one of the greatest players of all time because of his accomplishments. Even, you know, people talk about it just being in the postseason. the amount of hits he had was he like sixth all time. Uh, that's pretty incredible. Uh, then he was an executive with the Marlins. So he should have a good feel of, you know, teams and players in the game uh, from that experience. So he's been out, you know, he's almost, 50s turning 49 this week so he should have good experience there but look the way fox does that show um they got rid of frank thomas brought in jeter um and they have uh, david ortiz and alex rodriguez uh i think he'll be making fun of alex rodriguez a lot that's what he'll do uh he'll be a little bit above it all i'll tune in for that andrew yeah i think so i think you'll see a lot of that and i think that um and i think it'll be pretty good because it's small it's small bites you know as alex used to like to say about um taking walks. You want to take small bites. Uh, for me, it's a little different to watch these guys. I've been around them too much. So I know all their little sayings. Um, and so it's sort of, uh, I got to like kind of take that, you know, out of my brain. Uh, but I think Jeter will do pretty well. I do uh, because he just, he just knows how to kind of work a room and they don't, they're not doing like old school baseball tonight when Carl Ravitch was on set with Harold Reynolds and, John Crook and whomever, and they would break down everything like, you know, in detail, they're doing more of a laughing thing. You know, David Ortiz is very serious. A-Rod will have his, you know, planned out a little model, little things to say. And then I think Jeter will play off of that. And it's really not heavy lifting. You know, it's a pretty, that's the difference between like what Brady's going to do when he gets into the booth, because there's no, not that there's a script for pregame, but you know, Fox has been pretty effective. We saw what they did with urban Meyer, uh, who wasn't great. Although I didn't watch as much because I was uh, uh, at that point covering baseball. But when he was at ESPN, he wasn't as great. And then they've used them more effectively. And it's a lot of it how you are used. When you do a three-hour game and you're Tom Brady, um, it's more off the cuff. And you're kind of on your own a little bit more. And so that's a little bit more difficult. So I think Jeter will be fine. 
Yeah, Fox's pregame show strategy is pretty uh, pretty obvious. They're doing it in college football with their big noon kickoff. They do it in uh, the NFL uh, for, for the, the pregame show there. They're doing it also in baseball. They get the big names together, uh, big personalities, and they just have they they, they try to have fun. Uh, a lot of people view that as they joke around too much and 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 they yuck it up too much. Uh, but but the NFL pregame show. They're having fun on that show. Same thing with uh, with college football. And I think that's something that they're trying to slide Jeter in. And so it won't be as heavy lifting as Turner had uh, Ripken do, uh, uh, you know, uh, s- several years ago. You're right about that. Well, let's go to uh, the, the next topic. And you had a story uh, that you broke on J.J. Watt, the NFL uh, networks showing interest in J.J. Watt. And you have him potentially going to CBS. What's going on with that? So it's up to him. You know, that's the thing. He's been pursued and has talked to everybody. Uh, CBS, I do believe, is the favorite if he does do it. Uh, It would not be a full-time role. It would be a part-time role. They have the Super Bowl this year. To me, that's a big carrot if you want to maybe get into this, uh, that this is the year to sort of, you know, do a couple of things during the season, uh, be part of their coverage, and then move in there on the biggest day of the year. Uh, If you want to be in the spotlight, to me, that makes a lot of sense. If you're J.J. Watt, uh, NBC has shown some interest as well. Uh, you know, Both CBS and NBC have the Big Ten. Uh, Watt, of course, started at Wisconsin, so it kind of makes some sense for that. But from what I understand, I think he likes the NFL a little bit more. NFL Network also had interest or has interest. Uh, but I think, again, I think they were more looking for a full-time position. Uh, and you know, Watt kind of, you know, he's got, I think, a young family. And, you know, these guys make so much money. So it's, it's, it's a big commitment to go every week. Now, maybe he does it this year. He likes it. And then he, and he says, you know what? I want to be in front of the camera because like Jeter, you know, the thing about Jeter, like, why is he doing it? Right. Um, Well, partly because it leads to commercials. I mean, Terry Bradshaw is still doing commercials. And if you're not out front like that on TV, you know, people might be interested in Derek Jeter still. They might be interested in JJ Watt. You know, but if you're out front and people see you, uh, you know, a, a good amount, that leads to other things, speaking engagements. Again, these guys can all get those things. It's just easier and probably more lucrative if you're out front. So J.J. Watt, it's going to be up to him. Yeah, and as you pointed out in your story, it's a Super Bowl year for CBS. So if they're going to bring J.J. Watt over for a, a part-time plan, like it, it ends with the biggest game there is in Las Vegas. So it's going to be something that I would think that you want to do. Is cooking. Oh my God, Andrew, is that The Rock's music? <laughs> is he on set? We had The Rock tweeting out at us after a, a, a journalist who covers the XFL and the USFL, James Larson, uh, listened to the pod, picked up uh, one of my tweets and said, interesting XFL development. There is no rights deal in place for the XFL with ESPN and Disney which uh, got The Rock to tweet out, not true. The Rock tweeted, ESPN is a stakeholder in the XFL, which is true. Uh, Long-term partners, which also is true. Big plans for 24 season. I'm not sure if that's true. Back to work. So, uh, Andrew, is the XFL getting a rights fee from ESPN? Yes or no? They're they're not. And let's just say James Larson, to his credit, he had reached out to me 
you know, during this time when I was like not really paying attention, I was working on stories at City Field. And then he did he did clear it up. He said this was like a day later, but still cleared up. To be clear, Marshan's not denying the rights deal itself, but rather the $20 million fee associated with with the set agreement. He said there is no rights fee. Yeah, there's no rights fee. That's that's the bottom line. And so what happened that again, if you go back technically speaking to what The Rock was responding to, he said there's no rights deal in place for XFL 2023 with ESPN and Disney. Um, and so that's not what we said. We didn't say there's no, of course, there's a, how is there, of course there's a rights agreement. The games are on the air. There has to be an agreement. There's no rights fee. So The Rock, some people suggested we should settle in a wrestling match. I'm going to say that's not a good idea. Um, or maybe arm wrestling. Uh, but uh, it is, this is, listen, this is the second time in like the last month or two that this has happened um it's happened a few times on this podcast this podcast we did say at the beginning was going to get mostly me in trouble but the thing is about it and it's very look i've said this before it's an honor to get your stuff aggregated so it's always appreciated the problem with the last couple times is that they haven't been accurate from what we've said which is this a known problem we're not alone in you know having this happen and you know why people want to be quoted correctly but like the brady thing with the uh, Brady meter, the, that thing took off the Tom Brady. I mean, Brady and the rock. I don't know. I think they're getting, I don't know why they're responding to these things. I mean, it's a, it's a credit. I mean, it's a, it's nice for us, I guess, but like, it's not even what we actually are saying. And then they're responding to it, which makes them even bigger. So I don't know if that's the best advice they're receiving on the, that stuff. There is no rights fee. And that's the bottom line. Cause Marshan said so, right. Uh, you know, I, I actually was looking into this guy. Where did that $20 million figure come from? It was explained to me by a couple of sources that uh, on some of these time buys, ESPN doesn't do the production. The, 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 the league does the production. With the XFL, ESPN is doing the production. And how much generally would that production cost? Probably around you know, like $20 million. So could they be, conf- could The Rock be, uh, saying that that's part of the rights fee or something along those lines. It's not part of a rights fee. It's not what a rights fee is. Exactly. Fee is but that, that could be where the $20 million uh, figure comes from. And in fact, I have sources suggesting that is exactly where that figure is coming from. So that's not a rights fee, right? Would you agree with me or? Oh, that's not a rights fee. No, that's, those are production, production costs. That's a production cost. That's not a rights fee. Yeah. Rights fee is like you send a check to somebody and there's your fee. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, that you know we have cameras set up. Well, let's go to the next topic, Andrew, which is a, a topic uh, that you've been all over. The New York radio beat that you have has now turned into a national TV uh, story with Craig Carton going to Fox Sports for over a million dollars to host a morning. It's a morning show, right? Uh yes, the FS1 show. Yep, is in the mornings. It's been on. Right. John. Thanks for watching. Uh, uh, so how did the <laughs> big fan big fan so i mean it's a pretty incredible comeback for craig carton he was in prison for fraud uh after it's you know previous before that the, for the decade before that him and boomer sison had the uh, top rated um boomer and carton morning show uh, on fan then he uh went to prison for fraud um had a payback still and still does I mean, he's paid back some of it, uh, nearly $5 million, um, got a second chance. Chris Olivero, uh, who's the president of Odyssey, which is the parent company at WFAN, went way back with Carton, was actually a producer of a show that Carton and Sid Rosenberg did about 20, 
a little less than 25 years ago. Uh, and so they had a close relationship. Uh, FAN had the afternoon opening uh, after Mike Francesa had retired. Uh, they had Evan Roberts and Joe Benigno in there for a little bit. And then uh, they were looking for a new afternoon team. Uh, and Carton got in there. They did well at first. They went back and forth in terms of the ratings between uh, Carton and Michael Kay. Uh, but then they've dominated. The Carton and Roberts show has dominated for a while now. It was just a financial decision that he had to make. Uh, this is the time that, you know, the morning show uh, for he gets, he says he gets up at two 30 in the morning for the seven o'clock show on FS one. Then you have a two o'clock show on WFAN. That's just not sustainable, uh, especially. I think Carton has said that he wants to make amends with his family and you, know, you can't just work all day and make amends. Does doesn't work. Now they move Tiki Barber, as I mentioned at the top into that position as uh, the host of, uh, you know, the afternoon show with uh, Evan Roberts. Uh, Sal Licata is going to be in mid mornings. Um, with Brandon Tierney. So a lot of movement at WFAN, which is the you know biggest local sports station in the country, the first one and the biggest by far. Before we bring in Malika Andrews is our big get. She's hosting the NBA draft uh, along with uh, Mike Greenberg um, this week. We had some NBA draft news where Woj has said that he is no longer going to tip uh, the picks on Twitter, he's going to focus instead on storytelling and sort of, sort of being part of ESPN's TV uh, pre presentation of the NFL draft, which of course doesn't mean that the tips won't be picked. Uh, Shams, you can bet, is going to be on Twitter uh, tipping them and uh, several other NBA reporters, I, I will bet you, are going to be out there doing it. But Woj has decided to step back from doing that. Good decision or not, Andrew? I thought when Woj first did it, it was pretty impressive. And, you know, I don't know exactly how he did it. If it was just one person who was seeing the cards or if he had somebody at every team, I don't know the exact. So, you know, especially if it's the latter, he had somebody at every team telling him the picks. That's pretty incredible. That said, it had really no value except to like kind of flex your muscles as a reporter, uh, but it had no value. It built up, it built up the Woj brand in a it big way. It did build the Woj brand. It was good for the Woj brand. I think if I'm ESPN, I'm paying him whatever, six, $7 million a year. You want to focus on the storylines. And I think that's where the value is, what they're thinking, what they could be doing. And of course, if there's something about picks that that that, are, that is good to report or somebody wants to move up to get somebody, yeah, that's what you want to hear. But just saying the picks before they're going to be announced on ESPN, I just don't think makes sense. And I don't think it's like he's withholding like journalistic, like he's not, it's not, these aren't the Pentagon papers. It's something's about to be announced. He's going to do it a minute earlier. That just seems like a waste of time. Um, it's funny. It was kind of funny because it would ruin like the draft <laughs> in some regards. Uh, if you wanted to be on Twitter and watch the draft, I don't think it's needed. And I'm sure others will still do it, but I think it, it I think it ran its course. And if I was Woj, I think that's an uh, ESPN, I think is the right decision. You? Woj doesn't need to do it. Woj is now part of trying to make that TV show as good as possible. So, you know, why kind of go out and, and get it done? Like I said, it's still going to be done on Twitter by the by various NBA reporters that are out there. So if you want to be on Twitter, you can find out the picks. Or if you want to watch it, sit down and just watch uh, the, the TV presentation, you can do that as well. All right, John, let's bring in the big get, Malika Andrews. At just 28, she's hosting the NBA Draft for the second time on ESPN. She's also the host of NBA Today and does a lot of sideline work throughout the season uh, during games. Malika, first off, thanks for giving us the time. Oh, thank you for having me. Medium. 
medium get. <laughs> not good no, 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 I, no, I, I am thrilled to be here with you, gentlemen. You're hosting not that main draft yeah. coverage. This is a big get. <laughs> Well, Malika, we wow. always like to uh, start these off with what, what uh, we call the origin stories. You know, you're, you're 28, along with Mike Greenberg, you're going to be heading up ESPN's NBA draft coverage. How did you get here? A lot of luck and some really great mentors and help. I, I think a lot about, um, I fully believe that luck favors the prepared. And so I, 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 this is not to say I, I started my college newspaper my sophomore year. I majored in my college newspaper. Andrew and I have talked about this in the past where it was just where I spent all of my time. I poured everything into it. I loved it. Um, for me, it sort of felt like the flip side of, of another coin, right? I feel like my, my personality when I was growing up, um, I would maybe pour this obsessive energy into other things that weren't so good for me. And so when I found, and I've always loved writing. And so when I found the newspaper, it just felt like this like perfect outlet, this perfect um, compartment for, for my passion of writing. But I didn't know that reporting was also a piece that I would love so deeply. Um, and so I, I worked for my student newspaper. I did internships at Yahoo Sports. I did internships at the Denver Post. I did internships uh, at the New York Times. I, I was freelancing for the Associated Press. All of my extra time went into sending emails to Mark Spears and Ramona Shelburne and Ben Golliver asking, can I get coffee with you? Joe Freeman, can I pick your brain and understand? understand how it is that you got to where you were. So I, I started there. Right. Um, and then I, I got lucky. I, I think along the way, those people that I reached out to saw something, um, in me and decided to help me. And I think that you, you don't get to these places in this incredibly competitive industry without that drive. I love sports. I grew up playing them. I grew up watching them. I grew up, that was the way that my dad and I bonded. Um, but I don't think, sometimes I think that you need that extra little push. And for me, that extra little push came in the form of all of these people of Adrian Wojnarowski, um, that now it's, it's wild as my colleague. And sometimes I get emails now from students and I'm like, but don't you know, I'm like, we're, we're like the same. Like <laughs> I was just doing this. This is kind of wild to be on the other side. And I feel this immense duty to those students because that was me not that long ago. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been here. My origin story is like so many people just pushing me up this hill. Um, that I, I, I feel like it, I, I, I have a responsibility to, to those people. I love your answer because it talks about the whole process of getting getting to where you trust are. it. You got to trust the process. Trust the process. The, the NBA and you coming out there. I love it. The uh, but is there one particular break that like is there one one thing that you can look back on and say like yeah that that's what really launched my career. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I I've. I don't know that this was the thing that launched my career, but it's serendipitous um in a way that I don't know I still think about and I've 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 told this story before but um I wrote a my my best friend Claire and I we worked on the college newspaper together she was one of the reasons that I got into my college newspaper and we were as competitive as friends can be she works for CNN now um but we both went out to be we were both 
reporters and then I was sports editor and she was news editor and we both went out to be editor in chief and um, like we both interviewed and uh, I ended up getting the editor job and she got the managing editor job um, and we rarely fought. We lived together for like three years and we rarely got into disagreements and one disagreement that we got into was whether or not uh, Terry Porter's hiring should be a front page above the fold um, University of Portland newspaper, UP Beacon story. And, um, I wrote it. So I like, Ooh, fighting that hard work, but, um, I was like, no, like I, I do believe that this is bigger news. So often sports are the little brother, the little sister of the newsroom. And I really believe that this story, the news value of the story deserved to be above the fold. Um, so we ended up putting it above the fold in one of those fine, like, we'll just do it type of moments. And, we're great now. It's all good. It's just 10 years ago. But um, uh, that story, the paper was printed. Our 200 newspaper circulation around campus was put out on its stands. And um, Woj was in town to um, interview Terry Porter for the Woj pod. And he's walking around campus and he picks up a copy of the newspaper and he reads the paper and he puts it in his bag. And um, I don't know, maybe a week later, I went up, I went to Nike Hoop Summit. I got a credential to Hoop Summit just to, again, understand the way that this job is done. And I saw, I was like, oh my God, that's Adrian Rogers. I'm going to go introduce myself to him. I'm really nervous. And I walked over to him and I said, hi. Um, it's so nice to meet you. Could he you. hear you? Could, could he hear you? <laughs> I sound like a mouth uh, in my mind. And um, he said, oh, I, I, you wrote this story, didn't you? And I was Lord, that someone um, of his, you know, stature in reporting had taken the time to read it. And I remember going back to my newspaper and telling the story as this, like, you never know who's reading or whatever. But from that moment on, you know, he was, he checked in with me throughout my New York Times career. And when I was told ultimately, no, that I couldn't stay at the New York Times, which was crushing for me, he was sort of like, well, what, where, what, what do you want? And, and, um, then ultimately when I came to ESPN, he was, um, a really a big part of being a sounding board for me in that process. And so I'm not sure that that story is the story that, you know, made my career, but I do think those links, um, like that's what this is. This, this whole business is such a, it's such a building block process. And for me, that was such a, just like, that doesn't happen, you know, like that, that kind of thing, it doesn't happen. And so it's still a little bit wild to me. And then obviously the bubble, um, the bubble is huge for me. Now you mentioned the New York times. You didn't, what, they didn't want you to stay on after your internship. What happened there? When I went to the New York times, I had been so fortunate to have so many yeses. I was, I was, I was rejected from the sports journalism Institute. The first time I applied and I applied again the next year and I got in and, and I applied to the New York times internship and they put all over the internship, just how challenging it is to get in. And I remember, uh, when I got the email that said, I got the internship, I was in the gym and I just like squealed and I was so excited and I called my dad to tell him how excited I was. And he was like, well, of course you did. Like you're, you, you know, in the typical dad, like, of course you did. I was like, no dad, like not, of course I did like be excited for me. I was, I was almost mad that he wasn't more excited for me. 
Um, so the internship was three months and I stayed for three months and then it, they extended me first another three months and I got offered a full-time job and the, the people in my, my mentors told me to take it and half didn't. And I didn't because the New York times is my dream job. And I wanted to continue to, uh, chase that. So I got extended another three months. Um, but the New York Times is, is as it should be is a, a union paper. And so in a year, um, they said, uh, working for the New York Times is like a Supreme Court justice seat. It's a seat for life and you're not ready. And I was crushed. It was the first, like truly crushing no, um, of, of, of my career. And I think I, I, I worried, I remember I was sitting in a Benihana when I decided what I was going to do after the New York times, just go to the Chicago tribune. And I had such a great experience there. Casey Johnson, I still think is one of the best beat writers in the business. Um, but I was so worried about feeling like I'd failed. Um, and I remember, you know, at the time it was very in vogue to do the life update, news update, next step in the career mini update. Um, and I was too nervous to press send on the tweet to say I was leaving. I made someone else. I made my friend that I was with do it. Um, just cause I felt, I felt so not because I wasn't super excited to, I was going to work a professional sports beat. I was going to work the Chicago bulls beat, you know, storied Michael Jordan beat. Um, but for me, because it was this personal goal that I had that I kept that, you know, my aunt who I've idolized my entire life is from Spain and lives in London. And even there, they get the international New York Times. Um, I just, I felt small. And um, it was the first time I really set out to do something that I wasn't able to do. And it was the first of many. Um, but that one you know, I was 21 years old and, uh, it, it really crushed me. I just got in my new apartment in New York city, a tiny, tiny little, uh, bug infested place on the Upper East side <laughs> that I had to get fumigated. And, um, it, it was it's really hard to leave. It's hard to leave a fumigating apartment. I, I have one question. <laughs> I want to move off the New York. Did they, yeah. did they actually, is that a direct quote about the Supreme court justice thing? That's how I remember it. Yeah, that's I, 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 I remember, and I don't think it was quite, I think it was, it was much more delivered, much more eloquently, but that was the analogy. And that's the analogy that stuck with me. I would stick with me years, too. All I these years later. Me. I would yeah. like hang that in my, wherever I was like. As yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, we spent a lot of time together talking. I talked a lot with your family a couple of years ago. Yeah where I did a very long story and you revealed a lot about yourself. This isn't really necessarily, I mean, you can go into as detailed as you want, but my question for you after that story, and you mm -hmm. revealed a lot about um, things you dealt with as uh, a teenager and in, in, in middle school and, and older and still maybe deal with now, what was the reaction you got um, from that in terms of people reaching out to you after oh, that gosh. story in terms of, because uh, yeah. um, you did reveal a lot and probably helped some people, I would think. You did such a wonderful job, Andrew, on that. Thank you again. Um, yeah, there was a lot of people who said, you know, I had no idea. Um, and I think that that's the thing about some, you know, we there is this wonderful, very visible 
um, progression that we've made in terms of talking about um, mental struggles, whatever that form is, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether it's an eating disorder, um, that I, I think that it's sometimes still easy for people to forget that you don't see all of the things that someone is going through. Um, and so I think, especially cause I was in the bubble at that time when that story came out, there were so many people to, to interact with. Um, a lot of people were, would, were, was sharing that. And I still have people, especially, uh, dads, uh, ask me about, oh, well, my daughter maybe is going through something. What's your advice? Um, and oftentimes I turn those people to my parents because I don't know how my mom and dad did what they did, uh, still in the face of how like lost and, um, inaccessible I was to them. I can't imagine how scary that was for them. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it's also easy to think that, recovery of these things is linear and it's definitely not. There are times you still have to sort of revisit and remind. Um, but I think that that was the biggest, the biggest thing was how many, how many dads in particular, how many parents in particular um, reached out and I hope at least saw some sort of light or path forward um, Cause I still, I still get those messages. I, I was, I, I still get those messages um, from that story. Do you feel like you're still recovering or wh where do you feel like you are in your process? You know, I think that's always, I think that's always um, a journey, right? And I think it's, it's so interesting to do what we do um, and get to document. I, I, I firmly believe, right. Um, and I think I understand, I, 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 I tell players all the time, you know, doing what we do in this public sphere, I have like a sliver, like one 100,000 millionth little sliver of what you all go through on a daily basis. And so to, I, I try to kind of keep that in mind whenever I'm kind of doing my coverage of all of the things that could be going on with someone that are going on with someone because um, people have so many opinions um, and that's okay about, about sports, about performances, about athletes, but there's always these sort of underlying um, other things, real life things. Athletes are three-dimensional people. And I think that covering them and then people having opinions of the coverage that we have, and I welcome that, you know, good and bad. I think though it's a reminder, right? When everyone has these, these, these thoughts about a show or this or that, and I'm like, well, don't they know that I had this type of day? No, <laughs> I didn't get this type of day. And so I think that that's something kind of I try to keep in mind, even as I'm going about my day with other people, that leading with kindness, sometimes it, it, it shouldn't be that difficult, but it is. And that's kind of what I, I try to keep in mind a little bit. I want to uh, go to uh, this week is a big week for you. Uh, talk about visibility. You're going to be uh, co-hosting the NBA draft and the NBA draft now you not only have college players that have played for like a season, you, yeah. know, you have <laughs> European players, you have players from all over the globe. How do you prepare for, for something like this? Oh, I mean, you should see, you should, I was going to say I have my binders here, but they're downstairs. Like the binders that I have, John, are like this thick of players. But 
Um, my favorite way to prepare, I'll go, I'll go that way. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's weeks, it's notes, it's flashcards. Um, but my, my favorite way to prepare is two things. It's, it's one talking to the players. I have had some wonderful conversations with the, the draftees, um, on like the most exciting week of their life. And you can feel the jitters are in the gym. They're like, I, I have no idea what this is going to feel like. Um, but it's been something I've, you hear it all the time. I've been working toward since I was four, since I was five, my entire life. But imagine like you've been working towards one singular thing and it's about to be here and you can hardly contain your excitement. And I love to ask players um, if, if you could script you know, this is the moment you've been working for, for 15, 20 years. If you could script that moment, what would you say? What would you say about yourself? Who would be the people that would be brought up? What would be the, and, and you get these stories of, you know, my dad and, and sacrifices for, for this AAU tournament, my mom, and I, I just want to pay off her medical bills. And, you know, my, my family member, my coach, my friend who can't be here, um, this, the, these lists that I kept that I now get to check off these, like you get these incredible stories because oftentimes as much as people think about this goal, that moment is something they haven't really thought about. Okay, what would what would my script be for that moment? And I certainly like to to take that a little bit into consideration because oftentimes those stories they reveal sort of what those folks are feeling in the moment. A feeling that I've never had. You asked me, you know, what was my moment getting to my career? There were so many, but it was also this like nebulous, evolving goal versus this one singular goal for these players. So. Um, that's one of my favorite things to do. And then I, I, I love listening. I try to listen to every single thing that JJ Reddick, that, that Jay Billis, that Andrea Carter have, have said, because I love to, oh, you know, Jay, JJ thinks that this player has the most upside in the draft. Oh, Jay thinks that this player is the biggest, the biggest value pick in the draft. I wonder why. And those questions to be able to sort of ask them um, in the moment, I think makes for a better broadcast. Last year, I was so nervous. This year, I'm still nervous. It's a huge assignment. Um, but I think that that's kind of the best thing, a little bit of butterflies to sort of propel you forward because it means you care. And I, this is an assignment watching these young men's dreams come true. It does not get old. Like it is a, it is one of my favorite days of the year. Um, and obviously this year with Victor Wembanyama, there's that added level of, okay, this, this is a snippet of history for the league here. Malika, this is a two-part question. I'm going to ask them one at a time, just in terms of when you look at like what you're going for in terms of your career, like, what yeah. are you, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, that's a good question because I think my, my like dream job, if you will, has evolved so much. I never saw myself going into television. I thought I was going to be in newspapers my entire life. And I was really excited about that. There's still time. <laughs> yeah, there is still time. <laughs> may have to take a pay cut, but you know I, what? Hey, I mean, I would love to, I would love to be a Supreme Court justice <laughs> in that, in that um, metaphor. I think but, that used um, to be the case before the newspapers had layoffs every few years. But anyways, go ahead. I'm I sorry. mean, <laughs> I feel like that's, you know, that's an, an unfortunate industry-wide. That is true. Um, that is true. Industry-wide thing. And certainly, you know, it, it has not escaped 
us as well. Um, I think, you know, the, the constant, the only constant for me, because the industry is ever changing, because I just, I really, there is no feeling like telling an incredible story and then the person whose story you told feeling like you did it justice. And that doesn't mean they agree with you. That doesn't mean they love it. That doesn't mean you didn't push them. That doesn't mean you didn't ask hard questions. Ramona Shelburne always asked me, like, when was the last time, what, when was the last time we did something hard? She used to ask me that when I was uh, in papers and I was like, you're, you know what, you're right. And like, go get this hard paper and do, do this, you know. Um, but I just, there's there's no feeling like that. The feeling of, writing or, um, you know, producing, like putting together an interview, obviously I don't produce it, but putting it together and seeing it come to fruition and having it sing and having that person feel like their story, even especially actually, if it was maybe they were something they were a little hesitant about, or they weren't quite sure they wanted to to move forward with, or they felt pushed in the moment, but feeling like seeing it come together, it did justice to that story and rang true to them. I don't think there's any feeling like that. And so for me, as long as I'm able to sort of tell those stories, um, like that, that's, that's my goal. And that's, that's, you know, what I try to do for NBA fans. That's what I, I tried to do before I worked in the NBA uh, space. Um, but that's also what makes the NBA great is like, I don't feel like there is a league that is as rich um, with those stories as, as, as the NBA. Now, my second part would be, would you want to get into news with morning shows? Like, you know, Obviously, ABC, ESPN, Good Morning America, Today Show, whatever, it doesn't matter which one. But is, is that something that would be something that you look at and say, oh, you know what, that is something that I could see in my career arc? Maybe, yeah. you know, I mean, if, if, if are, are you offering? <laughs> yeah, I'll see what I can do. I know. You want to host this podcast? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, really? Is that you, power you, two weeks ago. Like, John, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think maybe that's, I, 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 I want to do this um, for a long time. And then sort of, I, I think Robin Roberts, I read her book a couple of years ago, speaking of, of GMA, and she wrote about her time as a sports center anchor. Um, and she said something to the effect of, this is not a direct quote, but um, why don't I roll my eyes really funny. I like close one eye when I roll my eyes. That's a separate thing. I've noticed that for myself. I don't roll normally. I go like this. But anyways, um, she, she wrote something to the effect of, I work at ESPN and I was at Sports Center and initially, you know, when they when when I started going over to the GMA and she started doing features, uh, Sunday features, um, and eventually sort of a, a, a role was in front of her and she looked back at her time at Sports Center and said she felt like she had done it all. She felt like she'd given it her all. She felt like she had left it hopefully in a better place than, than she'd gotten it. And that's when she sort of felt ready to move on. Um, I, I don't know about, you know, any of the next specific steps, what they are, but I do think that feeling would be really nice. The, the feeling of and that's what I aspire towards. I, I, I kind of aspire toward, I, I, I'm 28 years old, like you said at the beginning of this podcast. I've been hosting MBA Today for almost two years now. Um, I make a lot of mistakes still. Um, I am learning still. I'm loving it still. 
And maybe at some point, I hope that I can get to the point where I can look around and say, you know what, I feel like I really have given this my all and I left it a little bit better. And people had some fun along the way and um, I'm still working toward that. So I hope that that's sort of the spot that, that I can get to. Andrew, I, I have uh, one final question. Malika, before you came on, I did a lot of research on your life and uh, your oh. Wikipedia page says that uh, you're from Oakland. Born and um, raised, baby. Grew up a big Warriors fan. Uh, I did. Your poor market has lost an NBA team. The Warriors left. An NFL team. The Raiders yeah. left. And the A's are uh, on their way out. What's going on there? I know that Oakland, I mean, WNBA to Oakland, expansion to Oakland. My, I, 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 and I don't, I don't know that that's the case, but I think that man, Oakland would be a great spot for a WNBA team. I just, I know how hard Oakland fans love their teams. Um, and I know how much teams have changed Oakland and how Oakland is, has sort of embraced teams. Um, when I was growing up and it wasn't that long ago, as you guys have, um, mentioned, you know, being from Oakland, California, it wasn't always this like, oh, that's next to Palo Alto, the booming tech industry, the Warriors dynasty. It was a little bit rough, like, oh, you're from Oakland? Like, Oakland can be a little bit rough and tumble. And um, I think that both technology and frankly, the Golden State Warriors and their success, um, helped to change that perception of Oakland a little bit as um, this, you know, seedy town next to San Francisco that people didn't really know about. Oh, it's close to San Francisco. Oh, I get that. Um, and so I, I hope that Oakland has the opportunity to love another sports team because, I mean, even, you know, we've talked, Chase Center is such a beautiful arena and I'm actually impressed with how much um, of the, the spirit of Oracle uh, went to Chase Center, but there was no place like Chase Center, man. And, um, you know, there's Marcus Thompson, uh, the great Marcus Thompson covered it a lot, especially when the Warriors first left about people being priced out and um, the change that was happening. And I understand it. The, the Warriors are a booming industry, um, but there's there's no like... Seattle, Oakland, like in the, when we're talking about it, basketball fans, like, come on, there's there. It's just, it is, it is a uh, ripe for the taking now because um, it's a bummer. I'm bummed. I'm bummed that Oakland's not going to be able to do that because it was, it was rocking when, when the Warriors were good. Um, and even when the A's weren't, <laughs> people showed up. All right, Malika, you have the draft. Uh, some people will be listening to after the draft. Here's the question. Now, you get some time off in the summer or we're just uh, we take a day off and we're back NBA today every day. We got a little time off here. Uh, well, we have two <laughs> we have two NBA today uh, free agency specials coming up on the 30th and the 1st. So one hour of NBA today is not enough. We have <laughs> seven hours across two days for go. all of the free agency, you know, woge bombs, everything that's going to be happening. So um, we'll talk about, we'll, we'll talk about some time. I do have a, I do have a little trip planned in August. I'm okay, I, like everybody else, right? Counting down to their vacation in August. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, good for you. Um, happy for your success. And we really appreciate it. You were a tremendous big get. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. 
Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for coming. Andrew, I, I quite enjoyed that interview. If I pull out one thing, because I get I get a ton of those emails from uh, kids in college, and it's just be relentless, continue to work out. The trick that I usually play is I have a somebody's parent that reaches out to me say, would you like to talk to my son or daughter? I'm always like, yes, have them reach out to me. Like, I, I don't need you to play the middleman on that. And so, you know, she reached out, she got a lot of no's, she got a lot of yeses as well. And just, you know, it, it was something that was relentless. It was a whole process to get where she is. And I, I just thought the way that she explained that I thought was really cool. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I remember when I was a ag clerk was entry level position at the New York Post. And the way it worked then is reporters would call in to make sure you got their story. So you check their story. And I remember Dave Waldstein used to tell me later, he's now at the New York Times, uh, former New York Postie. Um, he, uh, you know, I used to like quiz him, like, how did you get there? You know, he just wanted to go eat dinner because it was like early, you know, he had to send in his early, then he had to go do the game. But uh, but I think that is the key, though, is to try to ask everyone, how did you get there? Because there's no real blueprint for this business. There's no, you know, it's not like you just go to college, go to medical school, become a doctor, which isn't easy. Right. And I'm sure there's there's other steps, too. But there's there's actual steps. So you just kind of follow. There's no steps in this career. And she kind of said that. Um, and so the more information you can have, uh, the better. And I, and I agree. It, you're right. The relentlessness of it. Uh, is important. Well, we come to a, the end of another podcast. Uh, a, w- a couple of quick thanks to AC Wyatt and the master of the board, uh, Chris Mason. Um, please, if you go on, uh, you know, five star ratings with comments are greatly appreciated by everybody. But it's been a been a good week, a short week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I think you only find the bloopers enjoyable because they're they're usually my bloopers. I mean, that's been left unsaid, but yeah. <laughs> Chris Mason, master of the board. We got to get more Marchand in the end there. You said, I think Mason, you said Jim uh, Robbins. Yeah, yeah, Jason. yeah, sorry. No problem. Blooper. Blooper right there. No, no sir, did I say it? Oh, you just had said you need more of my bloopers, then you gave us a blooper. Well, I'm trying to decide if I should be like a jerk and say that you said, uh, instead of saying the picks being tipped, you said the tips being picked. Um, so we could... Keep that in the bloopers or not. So is that a good decision or not? Should I be a jerk or not? But let's keep that in there. We've been doing this for like almost two years and I still can't talk. I'm still more of a writer uh, than this stuff. It's no, crazy. No, no, no. Uh, focused good? on. What was it? Reggie, you, you just came through on the pod. Yeah. Oh, Chris. <laughs> it sounded like Reg. Chris has yeah. a baritone going.